The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Tired of diesel buses? Want more cycle lanes or bus lanes? Which projects do you want Auckland Transport to work on first? They need your opinion. So head to haveyoursay.at.govt.nz forward slash RLTP to do just that. Consultation closes on 17 June. Get in quick. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Kia ora and welcome to episode 6 of the Offspin, the Spin-Off's Cricket World Cup podcast, which is coming to you today at a very, very frustrating time in the tournament. It's raining and we've just seen multiple games get demolished by the weather. So in the absence of that, we've got a completely different sort of show for you and it's it's going to be a very good one. Just quickly, I'll introduce co-host Simon Day. Kia ora, Alex. I actually have to admit to enjoying a couple of days off cricket and mainlining Coffee Supreme, although it's been nice to share the sponsor's product around with the rest of the staff in the office. And we have another serious, serious cricketer on with us today. So I'll just quickly say well over 7,000 international runs, well over 100 international wickets, 10 ODI centuries, Really one of the greatest cricketers New Zealand has ever produced, has captained her country. Susie Bates, thank you so much for coming in and joining us. Thanks very much for having me. I feel like that introduction required like a big round of applause <laughs> afterwards and cheering. Oh, yeah, yeah, or possibly like some sort of building drumbeat or something to really ratchet up the hype as it was going. I could have finished on 100 international catches as well. Oh, really? yeah, that's, that's good. That's, that's good. I hope I haven't dropped too many. Uh, you know, with sort of stats like that and uh, and that sense of just being at the absolute top of the world, I suppose the first question from my point of view is how gutted are you that you play cricket at the same time as Elise Perry? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I get a bit of um, stick because I, I semi-idolise her because she's pretty cool. Um, and I've always thought she's um, a great athlete. And so, look, she's been one of the superstars of women's cricket. And, mm. um, yeah, unfortunately she scores a lot of runs against us, which it would have been nice to have not had to play against her. But, um, yeah, she's, she's a pretty nice girl off the pitch which and she's really she's really difficult to dislike so um, (laughs) she's not like most of the Aussie men's cricketers (laughs) (laughs) yeah well I mean in a in a dual international as well she plays a bit of football and that I mean that is you too right I mean how how close was New Zealand cricket to losing your services forever to basketball instead uh yeah I when I was um 18 I after school looked at a scholarship to go over to America because I, I love my basketball and that summer the White Ferns coach Steve Jenkins um, picked me for the White Ferns and that stopped me going to America and 
I guess, pursuing that. And if I had have gone, it could have been four years in America where they don't play much cricket. Mm. And um, look, I wouldn't be sitting here, but that's kind of... Once I got into the white food environment and played international cricket, I just wanted to play as much as I could because I loved it. Yeah. Uh, Raptors or Warriors, by the way? I just wanted to go to a game seven. (laughs) Um, I saw, actually, I tried not to look at the score, but I saw highlights today. It was a close game overnight, so... Um, game seven and then let the Raptors win because Golden State have won a few. Yeah, Watching play. a game like that as a professional sports person, how much does it make your heart sink watching um, Kevin Durant come up with an Achilles injury like that? Yeah, I think, um, I don't know, part of me um, made the series a bit more even, I think. So, um, yeah, but it is the the playoff series and you know, being seven games, I just, as an athlete, wanted to go to game seven and it be a buzzer beater winner. I'm all for the, mm. the excitement and the hype. I do love Steph Curry, but, um, yeah, the Raptors, I think, will win that in the end. Yeah. Something beautiful about a great story in sport as well. Um, just going back to that cricket versus basketball thing, at that at that stage of your life, was there a question of money at all in the decision behind it? I mean, was there a pathway to make a decent living as a professional athlete in either sport that was potentially open to you? No, not at all, really. Um, I think that probably looking back kind of helped. It was never about that. It was just the opportunities and what I loved more than the other. I never thought I was going to play as a professional athlete it was just something I was going to try and do as best as I could while I was studying and thought um, you know 25 26 I'd have to get a real job but <laughs> I still haven't had to do that so um, yeah it was I guess the decisions were made easier because it was more about just what I was loving doing rather than signing a contract and getting tied to one sport. I often think about what I'd be doing if I had to get a real job but what, <laughs> what would you be doing if, if you had to do you know, an actual job. Well, I went to phys ed school at Otago Uni um, and I had planned on doing teaching, but um, every time I had to do the placement, I had cricket. So oh. it was a much better option to be playing cricket than going and doing a year's of teachers' college. So that's probably what I would have ended up doing. Um, probably won't be doing that now. But um, We need good <laughs> teachers. Yeah, uh, part of me, I think I've just got used to the lifestyle of being a bit flexible and I don't mm. want to be tied down. But I do love coaching um, young girls and, um, you know, when I finish I may have no other options, so we'll see. Well, uh, so much of the, the stuff around the teachers' strike at the moment is questions around workload and stuff like that. And you do know that if you went and worked in the classroom, you would be coaching every single cricket team in the school as well, right? Yeah, I think that's, the, and I'm not very good at saying no, so if I was asked to do the cricket and the basketball, I'd all of a sudden be um, tied to a lot of things. But, yeah, look, it's um, I've always thought about the coaches that I had when I was younger, and they all did it volunteer, and I had some people that if I didn't have in my career, I wouldn't have um, made it in cricket or basketball. So mm. I do look forward to being able to give back when I've finished. We, uh, I mean, that's a terrible question to ask in some <laughs> ways, but like, how how many more years of this do you think you've got in you? Um, depends on the body, but it's pretty good at the moment. And I think I sort of thought, you know, at twenty eight, I it wasn't really a career four years ago, but now that I'm getting paid to do it and, and 
pretty good money to travel around the world. I sort of want to do it as long as I can. Um, we've got a home World Cup, 50 over World Cup in 2021, which is mm. in New Zealand. So that's definitely a goal. And then after that, with exciting things like the IPL and, and the Big Bash still going and a new 100-ball competition in England, if I'm fit and playing well, I'll try and do that for as long as I can. I didn't actually realise there was a woman's uh, aspect of the 100 as well. Yeah, it's all changing quite dramatically over there, um, but the same franchise for the men's 100-ball teams will be women's teams as well, so that's an interesting concept. (laughs) It's a very interesting concept. I mean, you're probably a little bit on the spot. I don't want to jeopardise your potential future (laughs) employment prospects, but does cricket need another format? No, I'm a bit like, what don't break what's um, not broken. I think 2020 cricket has been really successful, but I think it's all about TV, um, getting on free to air and being 100 balls, it's less time and Mm. they're not changing ends and all these funny rules that's um, been ruled by TV. So I think they wouldn't have chosen to do that um, necessarily if it wasn't um, run by that decision. But I think once it gets going, hopefully it doesn't confuse people too much about all the different (laughs) formats there are. (laughs) But speaking of formats, one format you that didn't get read out in your biography at the top of um, the episode by Alex was uh, your test career. How how much does that irk you that there isn't those opportunities for women to play test cricket and what potential is there for that part of the game to be opened up to women? Yeah, I think being a bit of a cricket nuffy and, and loving watching cricket when I was growing up and I know test matches were the pinnacle for the men's game. Um, and yeah, for, we haven't played for, I think, white fans haven't played for 13 years or something. So wow. um, yeah, I understand that the 2020 game has promoted the women's game massively and that's where all the investment has been. But I think now the game's progressed so much, test match cricket would be a bit more exciting than it used to be and um, I get pretty envious of the Ashes when the women's get to play their one-off four-day match and watch that in at least period battle day and score 200 odd runs and think that would be um, pretty cool to have that opportunity but I'm not sure if it'll happen um, for New Zealand but we'll see. Who, I mean, who would be the ideal opponent if it was a test match? Uh, you'd... I'd like to probably play England at Lords. That would be <laughs> that would be ideal. Or India and India would be, I think, a true test of everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I imagine it would be. Um, you've uh, you've been in India recently in a competition that went completely under the radar in New Zealand, but has potentially got a really um, exciting future. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what that was all about? Yeah, so we've been, um, you know, praying for a women's IPL after watching how successful the men's IPL has been in the last two years. They've had mm. exhibition type matches, so the first year it was just a one-off match um, before one of the men's semi-finals, and then this year they picked three teams, um, which didn't include any Australians because they were unavailable. So. 
Um, it wasn't as strong as it perhaps could have been, but we flew over to Jaipur for 10 days and played each other once, and then they had a final. So mm. myself, Sophie Devine, Amelia Kerr, and Leah Tahuhu were part of that. And um, the final, actually, it was uh, free to enter, and it got completely sold out, and there were stampedes outside the ground. Oh because They didn't have enough security <laughs> because I don't think they realised how successful it was going to be. But it's just crazy. Um, they've got some players, Smriti Mandana and um, Harman Prekor, who are just superstars and yeah. can't go outside over there anymore. It's just crazy how fanatical they are. Wow. That, uh, that's a, a terrifying thought, actually, like a, a stampede is. But I, I suppose as well it would be um, a pretty big symbol of, of how uh, valued such a, an event would be. Yeah, I think the final just showed that... Um, there's that many people that do want to watch and I think it's only going to get bigger and better so fingers crossed um, I can stick around and be a part of that in the future. Yeah yeah well uh, one one thing that the IPL has been for the men's game is a big payday I suppose <laughs> <laughs> not, to, not to put too fine a point on it and um, over the summer uh, this was something that really pissed me off and, and I would want to know what you feel about it as well but there were some double-header T20 games where the men got paid match fees and the women got, uh, my understanding was about three-fifths of fuck all. <laughs> so, I mean, how how does that make you feel when it's uh, it's quite a literal symbol of uh, of the undervaluing that we that we put on the women's game? Yeah, I, I think. We are a bit behind in New Zealand and I think it's regardless of the numbers, it is just the undervalue um, that women in sport have generally have and to be playing in Australia and England and see how much now they're, they're valuing not just cricket but AFL in Australia has taken mm. off, women's football in England and yeah, it is just the value that everyone's placed on that sport and, um, you know, in New Zealand on that day, you know, commentators getting paid more than the players and things like that happens a lot more often probably than you'd realise in women's sport and it is just the value of what's more important and valuing the product for what it is. So I'd like to see some changes over here and we, we are slowly getting there but it is hard when you're on the other side of the world and they're, they're making massive changes but that does come down to population at times as well. Yeah. What yeah, is the catalyst for those changes? How do we see it happen? What, what needs to be done? I think probably the issue is is it's a massive investment first. So I know um, in the women's AFL and the women's Big Bash in Australia, they had to put their hands in their pockets and really invest and actually make it a product. And then people have started to catch on and follow it and then sponsors have got interested. But that costs a lot of money initially and I, I feel like we're a bit scared to invest a lot of money not knowing what the rewards might and so we sort of do it half-heartedly and that doesn't quite capture the audience that it needs to. But I And know then that's used as an excuse not to invest more thoroughly because it, no one watched it or you know people aren't interested in women's sport. If you're not offering a good product by investing in the women's game, I think it's bullshit to use it as a, an excuse on this, in the same sentence. Yeah, it's like a vicious cycle. It's like if you're not willing to invest, well, then you're not going to get those crowds in and then you don't get the sponsors. So that's what I think Australia in particular have done. They've decided to just fully invest without actually knowing 
how it's going to take off in the AFL and Big Bash now are, are products in its own. I think the AFL Women's Final sold out Adelaide Oval. Yeah, about um, 50,000. Wow. Yeah. I remember seeing highlights of the game and just thinking it's, you know, it's unlike anything that we ever see in New Zealand, even in, in just pure sporting terms. So mm. No no domestic game of any sort in New Zealand gets 50,000 people along to it in any context, really. And it, it was quite inspiring, to be honest. Yeah, I think, um, oh, is it Erin Phillips, who she used to play basketball, mm. actually, and she got injured and getting taken off, I think, um, you know, stand innovation and yeah. it was pretty well, she emotional. She deserved it yeah. for how she had played before, <laughs> before yeah, the injury impressive. happened. Um, and the Women's Football World Cup I think is on over and they had a in France the first game was sold out and, and perhaps it does come down to population a little bit but um, they are doing a massive push uh, on promoting the sport and it's exciting to see. Mm. And uh, when you invest in the sport like that, do you see the sides get better and the quality of um, you know whether it's cricket or AFL improve once it's perceived as a um, you know viable career for people. Yeah, I think the the big bash has been um, the probably the the best um, vehicle for how it should be done. Like they invested massively, and I don't think they were quite ready to have eight um, teams, but then. They invested the first year and then the domestic players are in environments where they're supported to train more and then the next year their level goes up and then the next year just the whole standard lifts with more coaches and you just attract more athletes because it's actually now a viable career if they were thinking of doing other things they actually know that they can get paid to play cricket so I think people just make choices to commit and then they're training more so they're standard just improves naturally just um uh, you mentioned the football world cup then and uh, I, I wanted to ask about the white ferns at the last world cup um <laughs> i know i know <laughs> I, I, I mean quickly <laughs> well i mean is is there something in the um it it seemed like uh and you know i'm a fan so i don't really know what i'm talking about really but it seemed like those first two games of the last World Cup, the White Ferns almost lost them off the field before getting onto the field because of all of that infrastructure around uh, women's cricket, which exists in Australia now. And, you know, India is a country of a billion people and doesn't seem to just doesn't seem to be quite there in New Zealand yet. Is there is there anything in that, do you think? Or, or was it more just... Uh, kind of prosaic on field um i i think like it's hard because we have players that are playing all around the world and seeing how things are being done but it is dangerous to compare because we we mm. in the men's game um you know england australia india have so much more money and resource so um it's always been the case for them but i just for me, it's all about professionals competing against professionals. And at the moment, apart from probably England, Australia and India, you have parts of teams that are amateurs. So mm. as soon as you have professionals competing against amateurs, it's not a level playing field from the start. So I still think we had a good enough team to um, you know, make the semifinals. But 
yeah, sometimes you get caught up in that stuff as well and it doesn't actually help the on-field performance. But, yeah, the more in the whole of um, the ICC women's competition you can have professionals competing against professionals, it's going to be a better spectacle because at the moment I think Australia and England, when they play each other, that's a fully professional mm. setup, and that's the best cricket, in my opinion, um, in the women's game that you can watch. Is it still not the case that even the White Ferns are, are fully professional? No, but fingers crossed that that's going to change in the next couple of months. Um, at the moment, it's semi-professional, and only the players that are playing overseas are able to be full-time cricketers. The rest right. are balancing a retainer contract with either summer, we've got a police officer, teachers, girls right. that study. Um, so they're part-time athletes. Is it annoying having a cop in the dressing room? You know? <laughs> yeah, she's uh, Katie Perkins. We, we love her, but um, no, she keeps keeps the police stuff out of the changing room most of the Good. time, unless you answer. They love a story, though, police officers don't know. So unless you ask her a story, <laughs> she keeps it pretty quiet. <laughs> it must be so hard finding that balance, though, to to have a day job and to find the time to to play professional cricket or to play top-level cricket because it's only semi-professional? Yeah, I don't know how some of them do it, to be honest. I find it hard enough just with all the travel and playing so much to fit in the training. And, yes, you want to have balance and do other things, but I want my cricket to be the priority so I can be the best that I can be. And I, I feel like we're at that point now with a World Cup at home that if we can get 15 players being able to train as much as they like, then we're going to be better um, in the long run. So, yeah, as I said, fingers crossed that as of August we could see a few changes, hopefully. Mm. How um, how on the record is, is that, by the way, that there could be changes uh, in August? Because there's a new... Uh, collective agreement, is that what's happening? Yes, I think it's reasonably public that they're in discussions now with New Zealand Cricket, so we have a MOU, a Memorandum Mm. of Understanding, that's um, been the last three years, so that can now change as of August, um, and that sort of aligns with the contracts that we've been locked into for the last three years, so it's all sort of up for change and hopefully positive change and we don't go backwards from where we are. Yeah, well, I was, I was just thinking in terms of um, there's, uh, from memory, 20 central contracts for men. It's not that many at all for women, is it? I think it's 15 at the 15. moment, yeah. Right, but there are no central contracts for domestic in the women's game? No. Right. So in an ideal world... Um, what what do you think is something that's potentially realistic to aim for, uh, and I guess what what is it that you would be comfortable with getting out of these negotiations for the game as a whole? Um, I think for the white ferns, there just needs to be at least fifteen full time contracts. Whatever, it's got to be more than the minimum wage, the last one. But um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is actually yeah. um, feasible as a full-time wage. And then domestically, I think we sort of have to take small steps but have kind of a long-term plan around that. And what year do we want to have 15 players contracted to their state as well? Um, I think if we try to do it all at once, then we're going to do neither of it properly but I'd like to see some sort of long term planning to get domestic players um, 
semi-professional to professional in five to ten years' time. Yeah. Um, it costs money. Well, it does. It does. <laughs> Which is what we're always told. <laughs> it does cost money, but, I mean, at a certain point as well, surely there are ways for New Zealand cricket to start making money out of the women's game as well, right? I mean, uh, I'm thinking sort of uh, sponsorships and um, merchandise opportunities, you know. Uh, actually, we, we do have some stuff in the studio with us right now, and it's, it's quite a cool uniform, the T20 outfit. It's quite, it's quite good. Yeah, the pink, um, I think everyone's loved the pink outfit and differentiating us from the black caps and the and the girls on the sideline being in their white ferns 2020 top so look I think this is the ideal time for New Zealand cricket to invest in women's cricket um, I think everyone's ready for um, the white ferns to you know be on the front pages especially with the home world cup and obviously mm. we have to play exciting um, cricket and, and play well but um, for me I'm quite positive about what New Zealand cricket will do, knowing that they've got a really good opportunity with a 2020 World Cup in Australia next year and then a 50-over World Cup in New Zealand. Yeah. You're quite good at exciting cricket, though. What was it like playing in that uh, series against Ireland last year when <laughs> everyone just went bang? <laughs> it was exciting for us. I don't think it was too exciting for Ireland. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're sort of, uh, we kind of joke it's not um, ideal, but we... We seem to just bully some teams and absolutely smash them off the park and mm. and then really struggle um, recently against the sort of top three. But when we get going, it's pretty scary with Sophie Devine and when we had Rachel Priest whacking it, um, yeah, we can be dangerous. And then Amelia Kerr scoring 200-odd against the poor yeah, Irish That, that <laughs> was really surprising, I thought. I mean, she's not like someone who comes to the top of my mind is someone who can bat at, at that sort of level and all of a sudden she's got a double century. Yeah, she loves batting, I mean, she loves cricket and she, like in age group stuff, she's been a top order batter and I think sometimes in the women's game she struggles a little bit just with power but um, against an Irish team we played on a pretty good wicket, she sort of just batted all day and scored freely so... Mm. Yeah, I think she's going to be a, a better for us in the future. She's just got to wait for some of us older ones to <laughs> move on. <laughs> so you've just got off the plane from the UK yes. where you've been playing for Hampshire. Do you have any tips for the Black Caps on English conditions and on some of those wickets? I've just loved watching the games get played at all those beautiful county grounds all around the all around the country. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an awesome tournament. It was actually a shame I had to leave. I um, managed to get to the game at the Oval, which was which was nice. Um, yeah, it's just it's such a great place to play cricket because it is so different everywhere you go. Um, Hampshire down south, it can be a little bit warmer down there and the pitch actually dry out and take spin and then up north it can you know be seam and swing friendly so I think as the tournament goes on the wickets are going to get a little bit um, slower and perhaps the bowlers are, are going to enjoy some lower scores but with all the rain around and um, you don't know how many games are going to get on those mm. wickets um, it's a bit of a shame really but um, I think the backing of the tournament 
um, the weather should heat up and um, there's going to be some really good games that unfortunately now I'm home for, so I'll have to be up all night rather than watching during the day, which has been quite nice. <laughs> well, just with your jet lag as well, do you have any tips for Simon and myself who are, who are trying to come up with ways of, of actually watching? I have, a, I have a tip for Susie. Coffee Supreme really helps. Oh, yeah, yeah Supreme. Is that the okay? <laughs> They're the sponsors of the podcast. I might need to have we one have later a, today. We have a cheeky bag for you to take home with you. Yeah, so. Brilliant. I love my coffee, so that's good. And England doesn't have very good coffee if you're not in London. Oh, does it not? <laughs> No, not in my And experience. all the good London cafes are run by New Zealanders and Australians as well. They've, we've colonised them with uh, flat whites. <laughs> <laughs> no, I tend to try and exercise as soon as I wake up and if I feel tired again, go f- mm. do some more exercise. But in the middle of the night, I'm not sure how keen you're going to be on that. I don't know how keen I'll be on the exercise <laughs> in the first place, to be honest. But <laughs> um, Alex has really let himself go in the last year. I have, um, I have. You can probably tell by the hair that it's just... It, and the goatee. It's just terrible. It's Listeners awful. obviously can't see Alex, but he's trying to bring the goatee... Him and Simon Wilson are trying to bring the goatee back. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a um, really cool uh, New Zealand women's cricket pack to give away to one of our listeners. I think we should demand that they uh, let us know that they've listened all the way to the end. And what's your favourite innings you've ever played, Susie? Your favourite moment on the cricket field? Probably beating Australia at Eden Park Outer Oval was one of my favourite games of cricket that I've been a part of, so I'll go with that. And uh, just speaking of um, favourite cricket memories as well, can I just say that it, it felt like literally the only good game of cricket, like really good close game of cricket over the whole home summer was that T20 that you played against India at Eden Park? Yeah, we um, had some really good games against India and the crowds, the Indians are just crazy, man, when they turn up. <laughs> it was at, incredible. Uh, at, even at um, the Caketon in Wellington, it, it would never had a crowd like that in New Zealand, but you know, they're just so fanatical. We're a bit boring with our polite yeah. clapping. They just make it a better atmosphere. But, yeah, we had three really good games against India. So we play South Africa at home this summer, and they're mm-hmm. a pretty good side. So I think there's one double header as well again with the Black Caps. Oh, cool, cool. Well, either way, uh, we are just down the road from Eden Park here, so we'll definitely be heading along. Um, it was absolutely fantastic having you in today. Susie Thanks Bates. So much, Susie. Thank Thanks you so much me. for coming in. And any listeners tuning in, if you want to win that prize pack, uh, email simonday at thespinoff.co.nz. You're grinning at how I pawned that off onto you, aren't you? I'll handle the, the floods of emails that will come in. Floods. Floods. Thousands floods. of emails. And thousands just of listeners. how do they go about winning it? They have to. Oh, we didn't explain that, did we? You have to tell us what's uh, Susie's favorite moment in her career. I made that. I made that. Uh, test up and then I forgot to mention that that's actually how you win (laughs) (laughs) we've got a cool kit for a young uh, female cricket fan and we'll throw in some Coffee Supreme for the adults as well that was episode 6 of The Offspin Uh, thanks to Coffee Supreme we're going to have our next episode for you on Friday morning after all going to play in the Black Caps, play India, hopefully it doesn't rain, hopefully we win. I'm not entirely confident of that happening, but 
Either way, we will have an episode for you all the same. The weather's not looking good, but I'm going to stay up all night anyway just to add uh, some really nice sort of vibe to the to the podcast in the morning. <laughs> Cricket benders is my new favourite thing to do. <laughs> for lover i'm madeline chapman editor at the spin-off if you have the means consider supporting our high quality journalism by becoming a spin-off member sign up now at the spinoff.co.nz slash donate kia ora e te iwi te butler here podcast manager at the spin-off if you enjoy listening to our podcasts consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at the spinoff.co.nz slash donate The Spin-Off Podcast Network.